You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. The title of the sermon this Easter Sunday is The Dawn of a New Age. The dawn of a new age. And I'm going to be in the Gospel of John. We've been in the Gospel of John all throughout the season of Lent. And now we finally are coming to the culmination of John's story that he writes. And uh, we're going to look at John 20 at length later. But I want to just open up with the first verse just to kind of get the story going. John chapter 1, or excuse me, John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the tomb had been removed, excuse me, and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. The gospel, what is the gospel? Um, 20 or 25 years from now, whenever I retire, hopefully here at Village Church, um, I am well aware of the fact that those of you that will be with us in 20 to 25 years, you will have forgotten the vast majority of my sermons. Like, all this time I put into these sermons, and they, you, you won't have any recollection. They will have just dissipated in the memory of your brain, much to my chagrin. Um, however, after 20 or 25 years of hearing me preach weekly, there will be, hopefully, 10 to 15 big ideas that you will hang on to, that will have absorbed and have been assimilated in your life. About 10 to 15 ideas, if I'm lucky. And if this is true that you will only have absorbed 10 to 15 ideas out of all of my sermons, if I could pick those 10 or 15 ideas, what I'm about to say next is going to be one of them. And you've heard me say it before many times. The gospel is a story. The gospel's a story. It's a story with a plot. It is not a formula. And that's, that's where we need some course correction in America. The gospel is not a formula. The gospel is not a set of instructions or steps or bullet points on how to get saved or how to get to heaven when you die. The gospel is no such thing. And when we make the gospel into a formula, we strip it down, we distort it, and we suck all of the life and power out of it. The gospel is not a formula. The gospel is a story, and it's a story that is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. But in telling the story, when telling the gospel story of Jesus Christ, where do you begin? You know, if I were to come to you and say, uh, tell me your story. Tell me the story of you. I want to hear your story you might appropriately think to yourself, where do I begin? You might get the sense that maybe I'm more interested in the last 10 or 12 years of your life, and so maybe you start there. Or maybe you say, no, I'm going to go back to the beginning. I'm going to talk about my childhood and start there. Or you might even think, I, I need to go back further and provide some context. So I'm going to talk about my upbringing, my, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my ancestors. So in telling the story of Jesus, the gospel story of Jesus, where do we begin? Well, in the New Testament, there are four writers 
who give us an account of the story of the gospel of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are their names. Interestingly, all four of them start at different places. Uh, Mark, who is probably the first writer of the story of the gospel, Mark can't wait, and he gets us immediately to, G to Jesus. Everybody say immediately. immediately. That's Mark's favorite word. He uses it 36 times in his account of Jesus' life. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And, and that's how he begins. Like, he doesn't even give us any context, no backstory, no background. John just blitzes right to the middle of Jesus' life at the beginning of his ministry, and that's where he starts. Matthew who is probably the next one to write his account of Jesus' life. He starts actually with a genealogy of Jesus that goes all the way back to Abraham. Because whereas for Mark, the gospel is the story of Jesus, for Matthew, the gospel is the story of Israel that culminates in Jesus. Matthew wants to remind us that, that long ago with Abraham, God made a promise that through Abraham and his, and his descendants, uh, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham's seed. And so Matthew traces it and begins all the way back with Abraham because he wants us to know that all of those promises that were given to Abraham find their culmination in the true seed of Abraham, the son of David, Jesus Christ. On the other hand, Luke, he also gives us a genealogy, but he doesn't start with Abraham. He goes all the way back to Adam. Because while for Mark, the, the gospel is the story of Jesus, while for Matthew, the gospel is the story of Israel, for Luke, the gospel is the story of humanity. Remember, uh, Luke's been running around with the apostle Paul, and Paul's been preaching the gospel to Gentiles. So Luke wants us to, to know that this is much bigger than just Jesus and just Israel. This is about all of the human race being invited and included in what God is doing and culminating in his son, Jesus. But this morning, I am not preaching from Mark or Matthew or Luke. I'm preaching from the fourth gospel, gospel of John. And where does John begin his gospel? Somebody say it out loud real clear. What are the first three words? What's the opening phrase of the gospel of John? Say it confidently. In the beginning. Now, obviously, there was already a very, very, very famous and important Jewish piece of literature that started already with that phrase, in the beginning, it is the book of Genesis. First book of the Torah, the most important work and the epicenter of Jewish life, faith, and culture. And so the Torah begins with those words, in the beginning, and Genesis gives us a creation story. Well, John knows what he's doing. He's... um. He's grown up a very, very devout Jew who's become a follower of Jesus, and he's very conscious of what he's doing. He is deliberately plagiarizing Genesis. He, he purposefully lifts this phrase in the beginning, and he puts it at the beginning of his account of Jesus' life. Why? Because while for Mark, the gospel is the story of Jesus, while for Matthew, the gospel is the story of Israel, while for Luke, the gospel is the story of humanity, for John, the gospel is the story of creation. John wants you to know that whereas creation began and then was corrupted and become 
became wildly and, and, and irrevocably damaged and beyond human repair, now that God's Son has come into the world incarnated, and now that He's been crucified and raised from the dead and He's ascended as Lord of all, the world is being recreated. The world is being remade. So Genesis tells the story of creation. John says, I'm going to tell the story of new creation. So I'm going to begin with these words, in the beginning. Are y'all getting this? Are you just thinking real hard? Okay. Well, this is why all throughout the Gospel of John, if you're looking for it, John, John puts these little Easter eggs all throughout the Gospel of John. I'm going to deliberately use that image. He's hiding Easter eggs all throughout the Gospel. And you guys in the film industry, or even if you're just, you've just watched any films in your life, you know what an Easter egg is in, in the vernacular of film and entertainment. It's something that's in a, in a, in a film or, or in some type of uh, television show that points back to something else, that connects with something beyond it. That's what John does over and over throughout his gospel is he hides these little Easter eggs and every one of them point back to the creation story of Genesis because again John wants you to pick up on this theme that in Christ the resurrected Christ new creation has begun so he has all of these echoes back to the creation story of Genesis and so today we're gonna go Easter egg hunting all right we're gonna we're gonna go Easter egg hunting today in the gospel of John you guys got your baskets ready if I'm gonna be cheesy I'm just gonna go all the way with it all right, Easter egg number one in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, the big problem for humanity is that the world is dominated by two things, darkness and death. Everybody say darkness and death. Darkness and death, very important terms in the Gospel of John, and so is their opposites. John always, not only in his Gospel, in, the, in his first epistle, he's talking about light and life. Light and life. Well, the opposites are darkness and death. And so the big problem that John wants us to know about, not just for creation in general, but for humanity in particular, is we, we've got a problem. And, uh, and the problem is that the world is dominated by darkness. As a human race, we, we don't know God. It's, it's hints and guesses. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to get it right. We're mostly getting it wrong. And we're stumbling around in the darkness. There's a thick cloud of deception that hangs over humanity and so we we build our societies and we structure our relationships in ways that are wrong and misguided and lead us away from God and lead us into sin and the result of that is death so that all of creation is now subject to death but watch this way back in the Genesis story you remember how it flows at the beginning it says starts this way in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and it says the earth was a formless void and it says and darkness hovered over the deep and then verse 3 says and God said let there be light boom there was light John in his opening prologue of his gospel begins the same way in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he keeps going down verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us boom and he says and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it let there be light the light of new creation You guys getting this? All right. I worked hard on this sermon, man. These Easter eggs, man. You got to... Well, let's find some more. Maybe, maybe you'll be impressed with some of these. 
All right. Well, in Genesis, because that's what he's echoing, there are six days of creation. Somebody tell me out loud, what day of creation is man-made? Sixth day. The sixth day. Well, the day that Jesus was condemned and crucified was, of course, Friday, which was what day of the week? The sixth day of the week. Remember when Jesus stands in Pilate's praetorium, Pilate presents Jesus to the crowd in this fashion. He says, behold the man. It's an Easter egg. It echoes the creation story. When God creates and forms that man on the, on the first Friday, the sixth day, and God says, behold the man, Genesis 3, 2. And now John presents Jesus the same way. Behold the man. It's, um, it's, a, it's an Easter egg. And he wants you to make this association, this connection between Jesus and Adam. Very important. When Jesus is on the cross in the Gospel of John at the very end and his work is completed, what is his last phrase? What is the last thing that Jesus says on the cross? It is finished. And again, that's an echo. It's an Easter egg of what you find in the the creation story. When God finishes his work at the close of each day, he says, it was good. And that's why we call it Good Friday. Um, In Genesis, what does God do on the seventh day? He rests. In John, in the gospel story, what happens when Jesus says it is finished? He breathes his last and he dies. And what does he do on Saturday, a.k.a. the seventh day, a.k.a. the Sabbath day? He rests. So you see, all of these, and there are many more. We're going to find a few more later. But all of these are connecting points. John wants your mind to go back to the creation story because what he is emphasizing is, yes, the world is broken. It's messed up. Look at what's become of creation, the world, humanity itself, but never fear because in the resurrected Christ, new creation has begun and all is being made right. Amen. A new world is being created. So let's look again at chapter 20 as John begins his account of the resurrection. I'm going to pick up on a few things here. We're going to pause after this first phrase. Look at what he writes here. Early on the first day of the week. Now, you got to train yourself. If you're going to read the Gospel of John, you got to train yourself to treat it like a magic eye poster. Because he'll put stuff on the surface. But what he wants you to do is look deeper. And he wants you to see it on your own. He's not just going to come out and tell you. That's boring. He wants you to go hunting for these things. So I've told you this before, that the Gospel of John is like a magic eye poster from the 90s. Y'all remember those? Uh, Let me show you what I'm talking about. I'll just give you an example. Okay, so you you buy one of these magic eye illusion books, and you got all these illustrations with designs on them, and so you see what's on the surface. But if you look long enough, if you look deeply enough, and for me, if I I cross my eyes, there's like a third dimension that that it's like a pop-up book. It just pops off the page. And you look at it and it's like, man, I see, uh, I see an elephant, you know? And you drive your friends nuts. Don't you see the elephant? Don't you see the elephant? Now, now go ahead and put it off the screen because we're going to get off track here. <laughs> but this is what the Gospel of John is. And it's all over the place. I am scratching the surface with you today. It's all over the place in the Gospel of John. And what you need to know is that when John writes these words, early on the first day of the week, that's on the surface, and he's not just telling you it's on the surface. Yes, Jesus was resurrected on early Sunday morning. That's true. But that's not really John's main point. John is telling you that this is like the eighth day. This is new creation. We're coming into a new beginning. 
that Easter Sunday was the dawn of a new age. It's not just the first day of a new week. It is the first day of a new world that's being recreated in Christ where death has been defeated. Amen. Now let's go a little deeper in John 1. Let's continue reading. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, we'll come back to that at the end because that's another one. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Let's fast forward just a bit to verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. This is the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? They said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener. Hmm. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, let me tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus, she, excuse me, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not touch me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. We could preach a whole month of sermons on that passage. There's all kinds of stuff there. But let's try, let's try to draw out a few things from, from uh, these readings in John 20. First of all, notice uh, the setting here. Notice the setting. It happens in a garden. John is very careful to tell us not just what we read, but even earlier um, at the end of 19, chapter 19, he wants you to know, he, he repeats himself several times, he wants you to know this is happening in a garden. It's in a garden, which is an Easter egg to the creation story. Where does the creation story happen? Genesis 1 and 2. It happens in a garden, the Garden of Eden. So John is wanting you to know that whereas everything went horribly wrong in a garden, it's also in a garden where things are going to be made right. Man. And Mary Magdalene, she's in the garden and she's distraught and she's disoriented. She's confused. She's dismayed. She doesn't, she doesn't know where Jesus' body has been misplaced. The, obviously, someone has taken it and, uh, and she's, she's still in profound grief. And it's there in the garden 
where she runs into the resurrected Christ, but she makes a mistake. Mary mistakenly believes that Jesus is the gardener. What a horrible mistake, except it's not a mistake. John wants you to see a little more deeply here. Jesus truly is the gardener. He's the one, in other words, he is taking upon himself the original vocation of Adam to take care of the garden, to grow it, to expand it. He is the gardener of new creation. And so the resurrection of Christ from the dead occurs in a garden. And from that point on, we who are children of the resurrection, we are called to spread the garden of resurrection around the world. We are to spread the reality of new creation by telling the story, by offering forgiveness and making disciples. Now in John 20, you have the first witness of the risen Christ, Mary of Magdala. You know, we commonly call her Mary Magdalene. It just refers to where she was from. She's Mary of Magdala. And uh, we don't know a whole lot. We don't know a ton about Mary of Magdala. But we have some bits and pieces that we can put together. First of all, understand that Mary of Magdala is one of the most significant people in the gospel story. According to all four gospel writers, Mary, Mary of Mag- did you know Mary Magdalene is the most mentioned woman in the New Testament, even more so than Jesus' mother? She is the most prominent Mary in the New Testament. And there are a bunch of Marys. But there's something about this Mary. And, okay, it's all right. You guys didn't get it. Um, <laughs> Mary of Magdala, there's... Um, Mary of Magdala, we're told that she had a very, very messed up life, very messed up past. There's actually a tradition that tells us she came out of prostitution. Um, We don't see that in the scriptures, but it is a tradition that goes back very early, and there is some circumstantial evidence that could potentially point to that. Uh, For one thing, we are told in the New Testament that Jesus, when he encounters Mary of Magdala for the first time, he set her free from seven demons. So that alone should tell you her life was messed up. You know, if, you, if you need to be set free by set from seven demons, your life's a wreck. Whatever her past is, it's an absolute mess. Um, and she is part of this traveling entourage. There's, she's one of several women who travel with Jesus and the apostles, and, and they're looking after them. Um, but the other thing about Mary is we, we know that she's from the town of Magdala. Magdala is a town on the, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there's a couple things about Magdala that I think can be important as we're trying to understand her. Is that number one, we do know that Magdala was sort of a hub for prostitution. And, uh, and, and, and part of that is because Magdala was the site of the Roman camp in Galilee. And those two things would go together. You know, never forget that Israel was an occupied land at this time. The Roman Empire was in charge. And the Romans would station large contingents of their soldiers in different geographical locations strategically. And in in Galilee, in the region of Galilee, Magdala was the site of the prominent Roman camp. So we know that she is Mary of Magdala, Mary of the Roman camp. She had to be delivered of seven demons. And her life was an absolute mess. And then she meets Jesus, and she begins to be transformed into a whole new person. She comes into new creation. But this woman, in fact, think about this. Mary of Magdala becomes the first preacher of the gospel. She becomes the first proclaimer 
of the good news of resurrection and new creation, which is astounding to me. When she proclaims the good news to the apostles, they don't believe her, Mark tells us. And later on, Jesus rebukes them for not believing Mary's testimony. But she becomes the first preacher, the first proclaimer of the good news of new creation. You know, I think it's worth mentioning in passing that Jesus elevated women to a level they had never previously known. And Mary becomes the first witness and proclaimer of the gospel. You could say it this way, here's an Easter egg. Here's a good Easter egg. Here's, a, here's one of those chocolate caramel filled Easter eggs. Um, if Eve was the first woman of the fall, Mary of Magdala becomes the first fallen woman to be raised in forgiveness and given new life. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus, I don't, like, there's a lot of you here I don't know you. I'm, some of you I'm seeing you for the first time, or some of you, you've been here for a little bit, and I just don't know you well. So I don't know your story. I don't know your background. I don't know your past. But I can tell you this much. Jesus doesn't care about your past. He didn't care about your background. I mean, he cares to save you and forgive you and heal you and make you well. But there's nothing in your background, nothing in your past that disqualifies you from encountering God and, and participating in what God's doing in the world. I mean, if it's true that the first preacher of the gospel was a prostitute. That just makes sense to me. I mean, what I know about Jesus and the gospel and how it works, that makes sense. I mean, it sounds about right that Jesus doesn't start off with a pastor or with a skilled and credentialed theologian. But he starts off with a prostitute that he's redeemed and set free from demonic power. And he says, she's going to be the first preacher of the gospel. That just sounds right. Mary of Magdala set free, meeting Jesus in the garden, first witness of the resurrection. Wow. What does it say? I'll leave you to that, to think about it and reflect on it and pray through it. But in the very next scene, in contrast, in the very next scene, John tells us it's evening again. It's dark. I think this light and dark theme is very important to pay attention to. It's no longer dawn. It's, it's now the evening. It's dark. And you find the 11 disciples huddled in a locked room. They're in a locked room. And they're afraid. They're afraid of who knows. They're afraid of the, the, the Jewish chief priests and their temple police and the Roman authorities. They're afraid that what's going to happen to Jesus is going to happen to them. They're afraid of being nailed to Roman crosses. And here they are huddled in their fear and their anxiety. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks through the wall. Like he had to, because um, the door was locked. So he just walks through the wall. And his first sentence to them is, peace be with you. Shalom would have been his word. Shalom. All is well. Peace be with you. Peace is the first word of new creation. And he says, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then he watched this. He breathed on them. All right. He breathed on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of others, sins are retained. But, but, but I, I commission you to go and forgive sins. Flood the world with forgiveness. Now watch this. Notice the connection with Genesis. Genesis 2, verse 7. Let's look at what happens. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils 
the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So in his resurrection, because it's all about new creation, about remaking the world, Jesus appears among these first representatives of a brand new humanity that is coming into new birth, new life in him. And he says, peace be with you, because peace, shalom, is the first word of a new world. And then he breathes on them. Why? That we might be recreated. That we might be made new. And, and having been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, one of the most defining aspects of our lives now is that we are to be a people marked by forgiveness. We are to carry the gospel of forgiveness into the world. To make this unforgiving world a more forgiving place because we carry that contagion. We carry that practice. We carry that ethos, that reality. We carry that gospel into the world. When we committed the ultimate crime of killing the Son of God, His response was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And every one of you here, every one of you, you are now invited to come into that forgiveness, to receive it, to absorb it, to be formed and shaped by that merciful forgiveness. And now Jesus says, just as the Father sent me, so I am sending you to carry this good news of forgiveness and shalom to this dark world. One more Easter egg. Let's go back to verse 1. Because I left something here. I left something in the grass for you. Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to edit all this out. <laughs> Early on the first day of the week. Remember, remember what that's about. That's about he's announcing that something new is beginning. New creation has begun. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. We got to put those two things together. Stick with me for a moment. The Jews believed that all of human history is divided into two ages. There is this present age. We might call it this way. It's an age of darkness. It's an age of sin. It's an age of death. It's an age of disease and chaos where things are ugly and not as they should be. This present age. There's this present age, but the Jews believe that there's an age to come. There's a coming age, and they were looking forward to this coming age. They believed that in this coming age, God himself would come down to this earth. And God would dwell amongst his people and make everything right. Everything about our world and human society, everything that's not congruent with God's vision, God's heart, and God's character, the Jews believed that God would expel it and eradicate it from the earth. And everything that is congruent with God's character and vision, it would be perfected and refined and eternalized. And they believed in this age to come, God would come and dwell among us for all of eternity, set everything right, and usher in an age of shalom that covers the entire earth. Present age, age to come. And what John is trying to communicate to us in this section, and it gets later developed in the New Testament, in early Christian thought, is that actually there's an overlap of the ages now. Because new creation has begun with the resurrection of Christ. This this new world that we've been looking forward to, it is already breaking into the present. It's already been inaugurated. It's already here. Now, it's not fully here. It's begun. But with the, upon the resurrection of Christ, 
New creation is already seeping into this present world. It's not fully here. There's still death. There's still sin. There's still ugliness in our world. In other words, it's still dark outside. It's still dark outside. But early on the first day of the week, John's saying, behold, resurrection has dawned. But it's a dawning. It's not a flash. It's not an instant. It's a dawn. It's, it's a slow creeping, rising of the sun. And it's going to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And all of the shadows are going to dissipate. Ultimately, that will happen whenever Jesus returns. And that can happen at any moment. But until then, you and I are called to be children of the age to come. Children of the resurrection. That's where our identity is formed. We are not children of this present age. Our lives do not belong to this age. Our lives belong to the age to come. Therefore, we increasingly, by God's grace and by God's power, our lives ought to be increasingly reflecting what the world will one day be like when it's all made well. Our lives ought to reflect resurrection realities in the way we treat one another, in the way we live, in the way we dwell together as a society. As a church, it starts with a church. I use this analogy a lot. I'm going to close here. I use this analogy a lot because it works so well here in America, but especially here in the entertainment capital of the world. <clears throat> but we are called, in other words, to be the preview of the coming attraction. Two days ago, my family and I, we were at the theater there in Newhall, and uh, we watched that new Super Mario Brothers movie, and uh, the kids really enjoyed it. Um, and I, I like the soundtrack. The soundtrack was cool, Daniel. It was all right. But you know, before you, before you start watching the movie, they show you six or seven previews, sometimes 10 or 12 previews. And what are these studios trying to accomplish? What are these production companies trying to do? They're trying to give you a glimpse. They're trying to give you a taste. They're trying to whet your appetite so you'll develop a craving so that one day when the movie does come out in its fullness, you'll say, I am there. I am buying my tickets. I want to be a part of that. I want to hear that story. I want to see it. The preview is not the whole thing. It's just a little bit. It's just a little bit of a taste, a little bit of a glimpse. But the whole purpose of the preview is to get you to, to the point where you're like, I want to experience the entire thing. That's what Village Church is called to be. That's what the body of Christ is. We are the preview of what's to come. When God comes and makes everything right, everything's exactly the way it ought to be. Everything is in its right place. Our lives increasingly by God's power ought to be reflecting that in the way we treat one another, in the way we relate to our society, in the way we post on social media, the way we drive on the freeway, the way we treat different ethnicities, the way we, the way we uh, relate to the rest of the world, the way we think about everything, the way we relate to our enemies. I'm not getting a whole lot of amens on this. But this is what you signed up for. The Holy Spirit wants to form and shape you into a person who is reflecting the age to come because we together are a preview of that. And as the world observes our lives and the way we live and the way we talk and the way we treat one another, it ought to whet their appetite and say, I want to be a part of that. I want to join new creation. How beautiful, how irresistible. I want to be a part of that. May that be so. And that's what I'm inviting you into this Easter Sunday. And it begins by just believing upon the story. 
Believe the story of this world going wrong and it's being made right by a loving God. It reaches its crescendo in our crucified, resurrected, ascended Lord of all who is currently ruling and reigning. And the question is, will we come under his authority and live according to his vision and his agenda? Believe upon that. Absorb his values through prayer, through worship, through scripture. Absorb his character gradually, slowly. Let the dawn of a new age begin to shine in your own life. And you will be given new life in his name. And you will shine in this horribly dark world. And our hope is that the whole world comes into the light of resurrection. Amen. I could go on for another hour, but let's pause right here. Why don't you stand up with me? Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.